Welcome to episode number 92 of Storytelling with Seth. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. It's my genuine pleasure each and every time I sit down to record to share with you another great story. Recently, it's been a lot of great interviews with some amazing people who have shared wonderful insights about their creative projects, how they brought them to fruition, and now how the rest of us can enjoy them. I've actually had to move around a couple of my publishing dates because Sometimes those creators, uh, when they're done creating the product, they have to also uh, be subject to the whims of scheduling, which has meant that um, a few interviews I did even as much as two months ago are still in the can waiting until the right time. But it is with a great deal of joy that I can share that they will soon be released to you and you'll get to hear some great stories about projects like The Sprite and the Gardener and contraband. Curious? You should be. More of those stories along the way. For this week's episode, I wanted to focus on a topic that I think is absolutely delightful. It's one that I've titled, Everyone's Making Comics These Days. (laughs) And it just seems to be this wonderful theme that I can't get enough of. In fact, stay tuned to the end because it even has something to do with a project I'm lucky enough to be a part of. More on that later. For now, let's go ahead and jump into this great collection of stories of people who are creating their own comics, and the reasons behind them are as many and varied as each one of us, and the imagination we all have to offer. Join me now for the first of many stories today on episode number 92 of Storytelling with Seth. Now, this first story is a delight to share, and it's not just because the person at the center of it comes from a place called Strongsville, although that could potentially be reason enough for me to take an interest in this story. What I'm really struck by is the uh, the story of the person who lives in Strongsville. His name is Ryan Drost, or Drost. I'm going to go with Drost until I hear otherwise, but I am prone to, bleh, I am prone <laughs> to mispronouncing things. It's going to happen, and for that, I take full responsibility. Even when I know how to say things correctly, there's always a chance my brain will simply flip things around, and that's just one of my adorable sides. Thanks for agreeing with me. In this story about Ryan Drost, he's 45, and he decided to start a new chapter in his life when the world for all of us, took a drastic change during the pandemic of 2020. What he chose to do is create a superheroine by the name of Stealth Hammer. And it's a comic book project, because this is an episode that I'm calling (laughs) everyone is doing comic books these days. And it's a comic book that was a passion of his since he was an early comic book collector in the early 90s. And one that he first tried at Kickstarting. And after an attempt, followed by another, it is now available at his local comic shop, which I think deserves an immense amount of credit. Now, it should be noted also that Ryan hosts a podcast that talks about comics, and he's hosted it for about 11 years. In doing so, he's gotten to know a lot of people in the industry and felt that there was a spark to his interest in storytelling, one that he wanted to convey from his best experiences of childhood. Now, 
Interestingly enough, the story that I found describes Drost as a <clears throat> mild-mannered customer service employee for a Vitamix, which is located in Ohio. Because of the impact of the pandemic, both Drost and his wife were extremely cautious about going out, going to places, and began looking at how they could take advantage of the lockdown. He describes it as extra time, which I think is a great way that many people sort of experienced the pandemic. This extra time when you were home, when you couldn't go out, and how did you take advantage of it? Plenty of lists out there describing uh, what you should do, you know, learn an instrument, um, pick up a new skill. I, I took up a lot of baking. I actually enjoy doing it already, but it was fun to try new recipes, new experiences. And for me, that was a great pursuit. I've also been doing some writing, but more on that later. This story about Mr. Drost goes into how he took what he'd been doing for the last 11 years and also his interest in stories and how he came up with a dream, a dream he describes as an all-ages superhero comic that takes place in a world of high-tech gadgetry and supernatural mythology, something he relates to and describes as being a combination of Miss Marvel, Iron Fist, in a world of Mega Man that meets Labyrinth. Now, Mega Man had its own labyrinthian uh, <laughs> attributes, but in this story, our protagonist, who is named Jamie, which also happens to be the name of Joe's wife, is an origin story that begins in college where Jamie discovers through something of an accident that she has powers and that, unbeknownst to her, these were powers that she was destined to have. Drost reached out to bring his comic book to life, first with artist Alexandra Scott, and unfortunately their first Kickstarter didn't work, but that didn't mean that the story came to an end. In fact, I love that this story references an idea that could be described and used to describe Drost. A quote saying, that's not how this story ends. And it's a catchphrase that has been associated with Stealth Hammer. So after the first attempt with Alexandra Scott did not achieve the success that they were hoping for, Drost continued to work on the comic, but when Scott was no longer available, uh, Drost reached out to another talented artist by the name of Joel Jackson, who lives in Columbus, Ohio. But because of the pandemic conditions, both Drost and Jackson were not able to meet face-to-face. -face. It's one of those things that's interesting because when it comes to the coloring, which is an important part of this book, Drost is quick to point out how much... Uh, notation excitement is given to a contact that was made through Jackson, colorist Ross Hughes. Those colors set a really great palette in the sample panels that are provided. I think it's a great way to look at this story through this idea of color and how it's expressed for both the characters as well as for the story. And from there on, Drost went ahead and connected with Letterer Dave Sharp, a name I've come across in many comics, and I, I think a letter can really set a tone when it comes to the dialogue and the conveyance of that dialogue, whether it's through the narrator or the speech between characters directly, or even when characters are just talking to themselves, which happens 
in fact, to all of us. And I think it makes for a really great element to the story. Um, Jackson is from Columbus. Hughes is from Florida. Dave Sharp lives in Pennsylvania. Scott, who was the first artist, lives in Georgia. It's a nationwide project, one that connected all of the people who were also affected by the pandemic and allowed them to commit this extra time that Drost described and that they were also able to take advantage of to put together a Kickstarter project. The Kickstarter uh, platform raised over $10,000, which was more than the $8,500 goal Drost initially set. 200 backers were responsible and Drost gives a lot of credit to how the platform, through its accessibility, made it possible for them to make a plan, map things out, and then provide a result for all the people who invested in the characters, in Drost, in the vision of the Stealth Hammer comic book. And when it was started, I, I like the idea on this second round of the Kickstarter that Drost suggests, you know, he made it about why you should want to back this. What is it? What's in it for you as the consumer? And that provided a lot of great insight to how he was describing the story he wanted others to invest in. Just because the Kickstarter launched doesn't mean that the project has come to an end. In fact, Drost is now out there looking for a publisher, and he's talked to Penguin, Random House, as well as comic names like image. But in the meantime, I like the fact that he's already getting a lot of great support from those in Cleveland at Carolyn John's Comic Shop, which is described as a Cleveland institution in Cam's Corner. Dros describes a relationship with owner John uh, that he says is just, you know, he loves supporting local talent. He loves supporting local businesses. I've known John for several years. I could not ask for a better place to have my comic featured. And right now, he's already had his first sellout. That's right. The first 40 issues dropped off to the comic shop have already sold out, and he plans on dropping more off later in the week. Sure, this was, as it's described in the story, a journey in the making, years in the making, no less. But that didn't measure up to the satisfaction he experienced. And there's a great shot in one of the photos of him holding up uh, not only the original issue, but a variant issue, and smiling at the camera, one of those thousand-watt grins, the kind that you just can't achieve if you're basing that passion on money or some other always-shifting measure of success. But a goal, a vision, and bringing it to life. I love the fact that this story ends up with this great quote from him saying, if you have that type of passion... If you're like, I just want to see this become a reality, and that's where I was, just don't give up on it. You're going to have a lot of people telling you it can't be done. I'm 45 years old. You're late in life to try and start these things and stuff like that. Don't listen to them. If you really believe in what you're doing, that's really something you've always wanted to do. Don't give up on it. Or, as the story began and so appropriately ends, remember what Stealth Hammer says. That's not how this story ends. Time for me to make a, well, an admission. I don't watch Game of Thrones. Yes, I know, the series is already over, so, I mean, it's not like I can actually watch it currently because it's not on 
regularly anymore. Certainly with, uh, you know, any new episodes. However, I didn't watch it before. So I don't know Amelia Clark the same way other people do. What I do know is she's created her own comic book. And it's about a superhero mom. She has teamed up with Image Comics and is publishing MOM, otherwise known as Mother of Madness. It's a three-issue series that's co-written with Marguerite Bennett, a uh, very impressive uh, collaboration in my mind, just on the comic book side. And then with amazing art from Layla Lees. Ooh, I hope I pronounced that correctly. It could even be Leela Lies. I hope one of those is correct. If not, you know it better. Reach out, let me know. I'm always happy to get it right. Isabel Richardson as well on the art. And Joe Ratcliffe providing the covers. Mother of Madness follows the adventures of a single mother. Her name is Maya, and she uses her superpowers to fight human traffickers. A problem that I am always hearing about, sadly, in the area where I live, because it's a factor that has to be kept in mind because of how many ports of entry there are into the area where I live. You've got planes, you've got ships, you've got, well, all the other ways it can occur. And I think this is a really noble approach, a great way to continue to bring up an issue that I think some people think shows up, disappears, and then until it's brought up again, sort of fades from the minds of others. It's one of those horrible things that we don't like to think about. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And I love the idea that this story comes out of a place where Someone decides, if we're always calling mothers superheroes, why don't we make them superheroes? And why don't we make superheroes mothers? Now, this superhero, Maya, has struggled with a very difficult life. And she is in a place where everything about her is unique. And these are things that she does not like and that she's ashamed about. But in the discovery of her powers, she also develops a better sense of acceptance for who she is, all of who she is. And I think that's a really great idea. Um, I love the fact that the story suggests that there are many things she can do that are pretty cool and things she can do at certain moments in her month. Um, she can do all of these wicked things, but they all come from the fact that she is a woman who has a menstrual cycle. Now, it's described by Clark that I thought it would be cool to have all the things that women don't like about themselves flip that and make those the things that make her superhuman. Now, it should be pointed out that Clark has been a regular at Comic-Con events ever since shooting to well-known fame, even for someone who doesn't watch Game of Thrones. I've heard the name Amelia Clark. And while she was sort of noticing a shift in how female readers and how many were coming into the comic book industry, the idea to offer something different than what she had experienced as a kid. And she describes it with this really wonderful quote. It's been a very beautiful female experience in the creation of it and a phenomenally creatively fulfilling process. 
I think if you're going to do a comic, much like the reason Dross describes, which is passion, and creatively fulfilling, which Clark describes the experience as, those are the best reasons. Those are the reasons that I think if you're going to pursue it, you should find that sort of passion. It reminds me of the great conversation I had recently uh, in the last episode with Alka Joshi when she said, don't, don't focus on the idea of getting published. Focus instead on writing a story that matters. And in both of the stories I've been able to share with you on this episode, that's the part that came out for me the most, the idea of a story that matters. And I think the interesting part about this is that Clark is paying specific attention to things that, much like human trafficking, aren't discussed when it comes to people, when it comes to women. And by addressing those things and making them significant, not only to the story, but the character, as well as to uh, those around them and that environment, I think offers an opportunity to (laughs) do something very different, very original, and in the process, uh, forge a new trail. Who knows if this will be the only trail that is created, or if it will inspire others to follow in her footsteps, offer characters who also take a look at the less talked about and find a way to bring it into the light, whether it's in a comic book or any other media or medium. I know one thing, I think Mother of Madness has great potential, and I like the way it's already caught my interest. Has it caught yours? I'd be curious to hear more about it. It's at that time of day where I've got a few birds sort of chirping, twittering outside the window. You can faintly hear them in the background if you listen ever so closely. And with everything sort of waking up with that feeling in the air of spring, of this reminder that 2020 was a time when we were required, encouraged. In some cases, uh, some felt forced to be inside. In 2021, as the vaccine is being rolled out, as more and more people are being uh, encouraged to look at what the future can hold and what life outside can mean again, I'm Always overjoyed to hear the sound of people coming outside, kids playing, neighbors working in their yards, gardening, mowing the lawn. And I think about all those little things, like the bugs that feed the birds, like the microbes that exist all around us, like the microbes that we became all too aware of when it came to COVID-19, which is why I love this story about a book called Luna and Simon, Bizarre Bacteria and Peculiar Plasmids. It's now available to download or print at home, and I promise to share the link so you can check it out. It's a collaboration between Dr. Jamie Hall and author and illustrator Edward Ross. They received and incorporated input from a team of scientists from the universities of Liverpool, Manchester, York, Sheffield, and Birmingham, and the John Inez Center. 
Maybe it's Inez. This is another one of those things I might miss up for a while until someone corrects me, but I'm doing my best, and should you read it and know different, please let me know. More often than not, I encounter words as I read them. Rarely do I hear them out loud first, and even when I do hear them correctly, uh, there's the way my brain believed they sounded when I read them, and that's always going to take precedence. So, Again, to John Inez, John Inez, center apologies if I mispronounced your name. I promise I will eventually get all the names right. Maybe. One day. Maybe. Moving forward. This is a story that features Luna and her brother, Simon, described as sulky brother Simon. If that's ever been you, you don't have to raise your hand. If you did... Remember, this is a podcast, and thankfully, hopefully, no one was looking around. And and should they, just say that you were raising your hand for whatever reason sounds good to you. Because you're sure. Because you're confident. Because you believe in yourself. Because you felt that you had something to say, and it's still a polite thing to do, even if you're not in a classroom. But really, do we need to keep going on about that? Let's get back to Luna and Simon who explore the wonderful world of microbes, and not just ones that are bad or harmful. In fact, understanding the diversity of bacterial life and the strange ways in which microbes continue to evolve and change our world is something that Dr. Jamie says is really important. In fact, in a quote from uh, the article that I found about this project, almost everywhere we look on planet Earth, we find microbes. There's incredible diversity and amazing adaptations evolving literally right under our noses. But we usually only hear about microbes when they are causing disease. And I wanted to do science communication that would reveal the microbial world as a source of wonder and awe rather than just a threat. So with Luna and... Simon. Dr. Hall mentions the idea of wanting to capture some of the experience of Calvin and Hobbes, which is a personal childhood favorite of mine. Whether you were Calvin or Hobbes or the wicked combination of the two, they're delightful adventures. Whether it was making the snowmen in the yard posed in oh so tragic ways, or the adventures of Spaceman Spiff who I think had one of the coolest costumes ever seen. Or if it was just the fact that (laughs) Calvin could be walking along and Hobbes would just tackle him out of nowhere. And for me, that was uh, pure delight. So keeping that in mind, as well as the spirit of the comic, the Phoenix comic, which actually isn't one that I am familiar with, uh, Dr. Hall describes a desire to introduce all of these concepts for young readers, young eyes. And I love that he goes on to say that, quote, I hope readers will see how science thrives on imagination and creativity just as much as it needs rigor and precision. And then goes on to point out that collaborator Eddie uh, and Dr. Hall have, quote, been collaborating on science comics for years, since I was a PhD student, and he was writing his first book on cinema, and we produced several comics about parasites and stem cells. This project was particularly fun to develop because by putting the science in the hands of Luna and Simon, we had the freedom to be a bit more playful with some of our explanations. In fact, uh, as it's pointed out, 
by collaborator Edward Ross. Quote, comics are a great way to reach new audiences with science. Exciting images catch the eye, and fun stories draw readers in. In fact, I love the fact that as I read through the rest of this story, <laughs> the uh, statement about plasma exchange from Center Group leader Jacob Malone talks about how between bacteria, the process that we explain in this comic is exciting, fast-moving, and is under active investigation in the lab currently. Collaborating with Jamie, Edward, and the rest of the team on this project has been a fantastic experiment. I hope it will help to explain the work we do and why it is important to a much wider audience. The creators of the comic go on to say that they hope to inspire key Stage 3 students towards future GCSEs. But the themes covered in the comic are also relevant for further and higher education students. To access the comment, please feel free to look for the link in my liner notes. I highly recommend it. Or you can just go to the Microbes website. I'll also have that link in the show liner notes. And should you have any trouble accessing it, please don't hesitate to send me a message and let me know. Remember, you can either drop one to me on social media, I leave you all the ways at the end, or you can even just drop me a voice message through Anchor, because they they like that, and they set up the service. So it's really easy. Plus, I get to hear your voice, which is a, a pretty fun thing to uh, include, because often it's going to share with me a little bit about your tone, whether you're asking a question in a playful or excited way or more than anything, just curious. Or if you just want to say something cool in the hopes that I'm going to copy and paste it into a future episode, which I will totally do if you want me to. So I look forward to hearing your thoughts. I think this is a really cool concept. Once again, Luna and Simon, Bizarre Bacteria and Peculiar Plasmids. You can download it. You can print it at home. You've got options. And when it comes to microbes, I mean, how many options do you need to explore? For me, why not all? We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with the following ads and then bring you right back to our conversation. Sometimes stories are so fantastic that no matter how true they are, they still feel almost impossible to wrap the mind around, to fully consider, let alone comprehend. Which is why I was really thrilled to discover this story from Insider and a title that Generally, I mean, completely, specifically, if not explicitly, explains itself by saying, we hired a professional comic book artist to tell the incredible true story of the FBI's bust of a conspiracy to kidnap Michigan's governor. This is a story brought out uh, right around April 21st from Josh Adams and Anthony Del Cole. It's a comic called Make the World Glow. How Two Radicalized Men Almost Kidnapped Michigan's Governor. Now, this story alone blew my mind when I first saw the headline. I, I couldn't believe, as it continued to develop, how complete and uh, well-prepared this plot was. How convinced. And I love that the story describes how it was last fall when the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, broke up what they described as an organized conspiracy to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer the governor of Michigan. The plot was a brazen, as it's described in this article, attempt to violently usurp an elected official by a group of extremists. It was not the last one either, as has been relayed in news events, 
whether it was the uh, insurrection riot against the Capitol or other examples, which there are unfortunately so many, that's a separate conversation. However, for this comic, the events described didn't rely on reporting on the case described beneath the story, with a primary source being the affidavit from FBI Special Agent Richard Trask. In the aftermath of this bust, six men were indicted on federal kidnapping charges, one of whom, Ty Garbin, has pleaded guilty. The remaining men maintain their innocence, and eight others are said to be involved in the plot and awaiting trial on state charges. Now, the comic that's listed below goes on to describe the personal details as described by those who have provided information, including that of the FBI agent, Agent Trask. In fact, at the bottom of the comic, it goes on to explain that in addition to the FBI affidavit of Special Agent Richard Trask, Delaware man charged in Michigan governor kidnap plot was pardoned by Carney last year. Whitmere kidnap plotter also wanted to hang Trump, other politicians. Adam Fox biography, 13 things about Gretchen Whitmere kidnapping conspirator from Michigan. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmere, coronavirus briefing transcript, March 23rd. Criminal complaint outlines, plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer. And there's even a suspect in alleged extremist plot, deleted video made near Michigan Governor's home. So there's a lot of information that's used to create the comic. And I think it's really well rendered. I mean, it's beautifully drawn. It's well scripted. The layout's really impressive. It overall just gives uh, some really impressive ways to consider how this plot, which seems so unbelievable, so inconceivable, is also <laughs> one of those things where you just sort of smile and say to yourself, this is part of history, something that must be recognized, understood to whatever degrees it can be, and then, if possible, reconciled, because lingering on it feels frustrating. It doesn't feel productive. But processing it through a comic that allows you to see not only the humanity, but even the degrees of uh, ferocity involved in this plan and in this plot. I think it's a really great thing. I'm going to share the link with you so you can find it. Just look for it in the uh, loner or show liner notes. And I usually try and put together a uh, website post that includes all this information along with the podcast. So should you have any trouble with the liner notes, go ahead and check out Seth Singleton Storyteller. You'll be able to find the uh, link there and links to all of these stories because, man, like I said, everybody's making comics these days. Here's a great one to add to it, and it's available for you online. So did that last story maybe bum you out a bit, bring back some uncomfortable memories about the danger implied by a plot that, if successful, would have put the lives of every governor in the country at risk or at least at concern for a similar action taking place. Well, don't let that story get you down. I can still hear the birds chirping by the window, and I have a great story for you with a wonderful title that says, Father and Son Duo Team Up to Fight Crime in New Comic Book. How do you not love that kind of story? I mean... I do, so it's easy for me to say that. But maybe when I'm done, you'll find a similar amount of love for this story. 
It's the story about Father Joseph Chapman and his son, Julius Chapman. And it's about a comic book titled Karma Kid, The Power of Positivity. Now, for me, Dad says it all with the quote, I'm just trying to change the narrative, create more smiles than frowns for the whole world. The story, coming from Waco, Texas, where Chapman is a native, is a storyline that covers many issues that kids are facing now and, to an extent, have faced for quite some time. As Chapman points out, he grew up in Waco in the 80s, 90s, in a period that he describes as rough. Section 8, public housing, where he was exposed to crime, drugs, and it was bad without painting it in any unnecessary adjectives. And I love that he goes on to say, quote, when you don't have a strong male figure that can keep you focused, it can be tough. If you don't get the love you leave at home, you turn to the streets. But the streets don't love nobody. And Joseph turned his life around and is now a role model for his son. And he says that a couple years back, they were debating what to call the main character of a story. And Julius, his son, thought karma would be a better word to describe him. Father Joseph goes on to say, quote, All the negative energy he turned into positive energy when people read the book, comic book. He turned a negative into a positive, and karma goes around. Whatever you put into the universe, it comes back. Now, Julius kind of nails it for me when he says, You're creating something positive for the people out there. We came up with a lot of ideas, and we made something great. I think he did. I think it's a great idea. I love the fact that this is something that is paving a way for a future where Julius eventually would like to be a video game designer. And I love that Father Joseph adds this great note to end the story. Quote, I feel like any time you do something with your children, having that connection and saying, let's put our minds together. I try to be there for them as much as I can and be positive and uplifting. We need to encourage our kids that they can be anything they want to be in a positive light. Now, I'm going to include the link because you can order the digital comic book online. And for a hard copy of the comic book, you can reach out to Joseph Chapman through his nonprofit, Motivated for Success. I don't know about you, but I'm motivated. Anytime I hear a great story about someone who has a vision like this, brings the story to life, and then is there to say, see, don't you want to enjoy it? And maybe find yourself inspired to do the same thing. I'm curious, do any of these stories you ever hear inspire you to do something? Create a comic book, tell a story, become involved in another way, pursue an art that you hadn't. If you have, I'd love to hear all about it, and maybe we can find a way to share it here on an episode of Storytelling with Seth. Reading for me was a doorway, an amazing opportunity to lose myself into amazing stories that were far wilder than most of the things I saw on television. And after I watched a show or a movie, it was over. But a book I could always go back to again and again and again. And if it was a long, deep, rich, engrossing book, it could always pull me in. And I can only imagine now what it would be like to struggle with a moderate, mild, severe, or any kind of reading difficulty that would prevent someone from accessing that same doorway. It would be, it would almost, I think, be like the door was shut or hard to open or more of a struggle to enjoy, which is why I love this great story coming out of Florida from Florida State University. 
That's right. I've got a friend or two who happen to be in Florida, and every once in a while, it's nice to throw a story their way that reminds so much of the positivity that we can find anywhere. The Uncanny Chronicles is a comic book that's focused on the realities of dyslexia, and it will soon be available nationwide as a graphic novel, thanks to an agreement between Florida State University and Ventress Learning. This eight-issue comic book was created by faculty from the Florida Center for Reading, Research, and the FSU College of Social Work. It's a story that follows the main character, Kayla, who is a young reader who confronts issues related to reading difficulties and, through the qualities that are available through a comic book, illustrate how she interacts with the world and how the world interacts with her. I think that's important to keep in mind because there's what we think we know about and experience, and then there's what we see when we view it through someone else's eyes. Each issue presents Kayla with new obstacles, such as struggling with reading, the challenges of sharing her struggles with friends and adults, and learning how to accept who she is, which I think is probably one of the most important values. I love this great quote from Yakov Petcher, who is an associate professor of social work at the school. This series gives kids of all ages the chance to see real-world situations modeled by characters they could relate to. We don't shy away from presenting the hardships kids face in school, in friendships, and at home. I like to think of it as having the heart of Avatar The Last Airbender and the struggles of feeling different, as demonstrated in X-Men. I loved this story. I loved everything about it. I love that it uses the approach of comics to illustrate the experience of dealing with a learning difficulty and the challenges that come with it, first in attempting to understand what it actually looks like to the person going through it, and then how you share that experience, if it's possible, to those around, friends, family, adults, those who are trying to help, and those who simply don't understand. Now, The Uncanny Chronicles began in 2016, publishing uh, three issues per year, and each one contained a chapter of Kayla's continuing story. It was focused on caregiver tips and resources, and it has been adapted into a video series featuring the voice talents of Zara Fazal, whose previous credits include Big Hero 6 the series and She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. In addition, Ventress Learning Center has a long track record in producing quality educational materials for children. It previously published Monster PI, a computer-adaptive written language assessment based on the work of Petra and Amanda Goodwin from Vanderbilt University, and the Dialect Awareness Supplemental Language Curriculum developed by Lakeisha Johnson. Of FSU, the late Carol Connor of the University of California, Irvine, and Sherita Thomas-Tate, Missouri State University. However, this new process is taking on a different direction through the release of the Uncanny Chronicles. As described by President of Interest Learning, Robert Meyer, the graphic novel is an excellent type of media to reach young people, parents, teachers, and public and school library media specialists and inform them about dyslexia. We're so excited to have the opportunity to publish and disseminate the print edition of the Uncanny Chronicles. Publishing a collected edition is just the beginning of scaling up the Uncanny Chronicles. Kayla's Video Adventures will premiere nationally this spring on Camp TV, a special kids block of educational content produced by America's flagship PBS station, the WNET Group. 
as described by the Education and Engagement Manager for WFSU Public Media, Tasha Weinstein, The Uncanny Chronicles is meeting a real need for children and families. In addition to being innovative, the project also highlights media literacy goals as well. As a public media station, supporting, creating, and sharing literacy is part of our DNA. WFSU recently partnered with FCRR to share this work during the summer through WNET's Camp TV program. Not only will children learn about Kayla and her adventures, but they will also have a behind-the-scenes look at animation and the chance to use their imaginations to create their own characters. So often I have come across phrases referencing who allows access to information, and those are often described as gatekeepers. I love that this is a group and a project committed to opening doorways, removing gates and barriers, and showing others how it is that they can potentially play a role in helping others find a way to those doorways, through those doorways, and discovering the wonders and adventures that all of us who love reading get to share all the time. Now, in a little segment that I have included more recently and hope to continue to include is the story behind a great collection, otherwise known as the Catalog of Beatles Songs. And from this book, The Complete Beatles Songs by Steve Turner, is the story for every song the Beatles wrote as it's told from not only the band members but others around and tries to uh, capture some of that atmosphere. A story that I feel fits so well with the concept of comics is the story of Yellow Submarine. And the idea of writing a children's song about different colored submarines, apparently, according to this version, came to Paul as he was drifting asleep at home one night. This later developed into Yellow Submarine, the tale of a boy who listens to the tall stories of an old sailor about his exploits in the land of submarines and decides to go sailing and see for himself. Now, between 1962 and 65, the Beatles had obeyed the unwritten rules for writing pop singles. They should have love as a central theme, last less than three minutes, and be easily reproducible in concert. They were now enjoying seeing how many of these rules could be broken while still retaining the immediacy and excitement of commercial pop. Paperback Writer had been their first non-love single. Eleanor Rigby and Rain were the first of their singles never to be played at a Beatles concert. Yellow Submarine was their first children's song. According to the rest of this article about this in the book, Paul used only short words in the lyric because he wanted it to be learned quickly and sung by children. While writing, he visited Donovan at his flat in Maida Vale, another one I probably mispronounced, saying, quote, We were in the habit of just dropping in on each other, remembers Donovan. I was just waiting for the release of my album, Sunshine Superman, and we played each other our latest songs. One of the songs Paul played me was about a yellow submarine, but he said he was missing a line or two. He asked if I'd like to make a contribution. I left the room for a bit and came back with sky of blue and sea of green in our yellow submarine. It wasn't an earth-shattering creation, but Paul liked it enough to use it on the eventual recording. The earliest takes of the song include the sound of marching feet before the song proper begins and Ringo intones a spoken introduction. A Stanley Unwin inspired wordplay in this section suggests that it was written by John 
and we will march till three the day to see them gathered there. From Land o' Groats to John O'Greer, with Stepney do we tread. See us, Yellow Submarine. We love it. The song was released as the flip side of Eleanor Rigby in August 1966, the same month that Revolver came out, and the rumor quickly spread that the Yellow Submarine was a veiled reference to drugs. In New York, Nembutal capsules started to be known on the street as Yellow Submarines, but Paul denied the allegations and said the only submarine he knew that you could eat was a sugary sweet he'd come across in Greece while on holiday. These had to be dropped in water and were known as submarines. I knew Yellow Submarine would get connotations, said Paul, but it really was a children's song. Now, what I love about this is that for me, Yellow Submarine feels like a child's song. It feels like a child's cartoon. It feels like all the best things I want to think about as a child, laughing, singing, rhyming words, not really caring if the fantastical meant or measured up to the reality or the real world. Instead, what I loved was also how one of my first experiences with the Yellow Submarine was an animated film that, to me, is always one of the first things that come to mind whenever I hear the strains of the song. Who knows? Perhaps for me, Yellow Submarines is another example of creating a comic just through song. So time to follow up on that teaser I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode. When I said everybody's creating comics, I wasn't joking around. In fact, yours truly recently was lucky enough to share publicly a comic strip that I've been uh, very grateful to be a part of. It's known as Greedy Greg. It appears online through a website known as Hapsy. And if you go to hapsy.com, they post a new comic every day at 2.30 p.m. When you go, you can find Greedy Greg and so many other great comics. And I love the fact that I get to be part of a mission that is perfect if I'm going to pursue writing and continue to work in a professional capacity. What a great start for me with a company like Hapsy, whose singular goal is to bring joy, laughter, and more to people's lives. Essentially, what is better than being, feeling, experiencing, happy? Well, there's plenty of things you can probably come up with, but for me, that's a great goal to start with. I love the fact that Greedy Greg, a character who is always doing things because he's greedy and tragically also learning some painful lessons in the process, is such a wonderful character I get to share and introduce with you, and I'm excited to let you know about it. I will include a link to that. And with that, I come to the end of episode number 92, where I thank you for listening to Storytelling with Seth. I'll encourage you to please share it with others. You can do so whatever way you choose best. The link is always available. Should you have a story you'd like to share with me, please contact me. You can leave me a voice message on Anchor. You can send me a message on Twitter. I'm one more singleton. Or on my Instagram, SethTheWriter. Or however you choose to find me, just tag the message, hashtag storytelling with Seth, or something that alludes to me and storytelling, and I'll do my best to find it. Most importantly, I love the chance to share a great story on this episode, and I have upcoming interviews with the creators of Contraband, The Sprite, and The Gardener, and many more in store. I'm looking forward to sharing those, but I also can't wait to hear if you have a story to share that I can share with others here on Storytelling with Seth. Till next time, I look forward to the chance to share 
more and more stories with you.